Hey friends, I'm glad you are listening to this podcast. This is Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the pastor here and I'm the voice that you hear pretty much all the time because I'm the main guy preaching. And uh, I'd like to think that's not because I am just uh, a control freak. I just really like preaching and um, everybody's too nice to tell me I'm really bad at it. So I just keep doing it. And um, the Christmas season is over. We have some ordinary time before Lent begins in a month and a half or so. So we decided, I decided, that we should talk through, preach through First and Second Peter. So the podcast you're about to listen to, today's uh, episode is just First Peter 1. And uh, if you followed the church, you'll know that I did an interview with my friend and fellow pastor, co-laborer, uh, Coulter Connor, where he, uh, he studied First Peter for many years in the original Greek, and uh, we had a, a really, I think, decent conversation about the role of suffering in the Christian life. Um, if you're interested in this topic, I would just invite you to, to go to our YouTube page and watch that uh, conversation that we had. Um, this is an introduction to it, suffering is all throughout. First and Second Peter, why we do it, why we're willing to do it, um, what the blessing of it is, how it connects us to Christ and one another, how it makes our faith real. Uh, just a, a, re a brief reflection on that. Uh, I go into the jail here in Nowata County Jail uh, almost every week. Uh, and every time I go in, yes, I'm dealing with sinners, but suffering is, is all around. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing to have to live underground day after day, to be at the mercy of powers that are not at all sympathetic most of the time and very Byzantine and hard to navigate. Um, it's, it's my conversations with guys in the jail that really make the scriptures come alive for me. And um, I, I went in this last Monday and, and talked through a lot of First Peter with them, and there was this guy who, who grew up in the wilds of <laughs> um, a city north of me, and uh, he was very powerfully impacted by the language of uh, our supreme blessing in Christ Jesus and the inexpressible joy that we experience, even though for a short time, yeah, we are in this time of suffering. So anyway, um, a lot of good reflections available as you're reading through God's holy word, and and First Peter is no exception. I, I really hope this is a blessing to you. I look forward to hearing your thoughts about it. Reach out to me. Uh, let me and uh, you know, umc at gmail.com is the church's email address. You're always welcome to reach out with any questions or feedback or comments or uh, really good jokes for me to tell from the pulpit, go ahead and send it my way. All right, enjoy the, the episode. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Not much setup needed for this. Uh, Peter, of course, was the head of the twelve. He was uh, his first name, given name was Simon. Jesus, uh, when Simon confessed Jesus as the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, "From now on, we're going to call you Rock." In Aramaic, it's Kephas. In uh, Greek, it's Petra. Peter is where we get Peter Rock. Um, so Peter was a leader in the early church until he was killed for his faith. 
Paul has written a lot more than him in the New Testament, but Peter writes first and second Peter. So we're going to read first and second Peter between now and when Lent begins. Um, so let's let's begin at the, the very beginning. First Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Who's that? Should be us. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are all regions in the Roman Empire of what was called Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, just so you know. So these are believers that have been scattered across that region. That's who this is addressed to. It's also to us. Who have been given, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What are we chosen for? To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So that's who it's to. He's addressing it to people predestined to be chosen by Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. If you don't know what that sprinkling of the blood is, in Leviticus it describes how things are purified in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Priests would get blood of a sacrifice and sprinkle it on stuff, and that would make it ritually pure. So that's what's happened to us, hopefully, is the blood of Jesus has been sprinkled on us, and that covers up our sin, atones for our sin. So this whole letter is dedicated to God's people, Jesus, people of the new covenant through Jesus Christ, essentially. Now, I, I spent the morning, as I do whenever I'm doing these preaching series, John Wesley did commentaries on the whole New and Old Testament, and he was not a person who was a Reformed believer. Reformed Christianity, if you don't know, is a belief that God is so sovereign that his sovereignty eclipses our free will. A lot of Reformed Christians would say they don't believe that, but what they believe is, from before you or I were born, we were already predestined for heaven or hell. And there is nothing you or I can do to change our fate. So the notion is that God, from the beginning of history, not knows just the broad scheme of things, but the particular things. And he knows that even Jeffrey, who was born in a uh, Christian home, becomes a pastor, is damned and doomed, and there's nothing he can do. It doesn't matter that he gets up. doesn't matter he dedicates his life to the Lord. doesn't matter that he denies himself, repents. All that matters is God has foreordained how things are. Um, this is what's behind the theology of once saved, always saved. You know, God has designed for me to be saved. I've been saved, so I have nothing to worry about. I don't need to bear any fruits. I don't need to, to do any works for God. I have been saved. I've been purchased. Doesn't matter what I do. God has saved me. These other chumps over here, I don't know about them. God has damned them. Majority of the world over there, whoever, that's just how they work it out. It has nothing to do with me, any choices I make, anything that I do. Um, that's a problem. There's a lot of parts of the Bible that tell us, do this and it will go well, do this and it won't go well. Here's what salvation looks like. Here's what condemnation looks like. Um, why would the Bible tell us those things if there's nothing for us to do? That on a basic level just doesn't make any sense. So what do we do with this language that God has elected us and that he has foreordained and predestined things? That's, that's not just here in 1 Peter, that's in Ephesians, that's all over the Bible. The short answer is I don't know, okay? And I think if you have any pastor who says, oh, it's easy, you just believe this, I just think you have to run away from that. I think the scriptures want us wrestling with this. 
God clearly controls history. He's clearly in control of history. He clearly has sway over the hearts of men. Even so, do you and I have free will? I would say we do. I would say that when we are made in God's image, that means that we get to make our own decisions. When it says that you and I are made in God's image, I think that means that we are given free will. Now, the, the critique on that is we're actually not born with free will. We're born enslaved to sin. All of us are born slaves to sin. But the thing is, Wesleyans, John Wesley believed and he preached that God's grace appeals generally to all people in what's called preventing or prevenient grace. God reaches out to us first without us doing anything. He reaches out to us despite our unworthiness and invites us to fullness of life in Christ Jesus. And then at that point, he gives us the freedom to turn, to be convicted, repent, and walk in holiness and righteousness. That's what generally Wesleyan Methodist churches preach. That's what generally I believe. I'm not all about free will. I do believe that God forces some things to happen. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm some weird middle hybrid reformed Wesleyan. But I, I don't believe that God has just foreordained everything and it's all just going to happen exactly as it needs to and I don't need to do anything. Rather, when you look at the language in Philippians, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I think it means this bit about God foreordaining and predestining. I think it also means that stuff about the importance of letting your faith bear fruit and to do good works in Jesus' name. And if you don't, if you're, if you're going to one extreme or the other, you're just not reading the same Bible as I am. There's so much in both directions. All right, let's, let's move on. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When it says that phrase, new birth, there are a lot of scriptures about that. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in the middle of the night, he said, no one will inherit the kingdom unless they be born again. Paul, in Romans chapters 6 and 7, says those of us who have been baptized have died and are born again. So when he's talking to believers, he's saying that all of us, all true believers, have been born again. We have received new birth through Christ Jesus. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Here's a theme that's going to go through the rest of the book. There are the treasures afforded by this earth, this life, they all perish and fade. Whether you talk about money, power, esteem, friends, family. Everything perishes. Nothing lasts. The only thing that lasts are those things of God, including his promises to us. So this inheritance that he has already established for us, it doesn't perish. That means it doesn't deplete in quality. It doesn't spoil. It doesn't fade. It remains as real, as powerful as it always ever did. God, nothing falls apart with him. Everything falls apart in this world. Don't trust in this world. Trust in God. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So nobody here can take it from you. Nothing in this realm can take your inheritance from you. Nobody can rob you. Verse 5. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's talking about the last day when Christ comes again in glory. What happens between now and then? Are we on our own? No, it says God's power is shielding you. 
Now, that doesn't mean nothing bad is going to happen to you like we talked about. That means God is walking with you, giving you his power through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? God in you. Verse 6. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Anybody here ever had to suffer grief? Anybody ever had trials in your life? Anybody ever have a, a season? You might be going through it right now where you just feel like it's never going to end. Right here, it's given us that eternal vision. It's saying, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer. Sometimes for us, man, some people with like chronic health conditions, they just feel like this is never going to end. It's going to be my whole life. That is a lie from the evil one. One day in eternity, we're going to look back on this life and go, it was just a blip. But we don't have those eternal eyes right now. We just were slaves to the moment. And what the scriptures afford us is the ability to step outside of our lives and look at them with our eternal eyes to make decisions with our eternal eyes rather than what we see right in front of us right now. I feel like I've said this a lot lately from the pulpit. I think it's an important thing. If you haven't made this a part of your walk with God, I really think you need to. Adopting scriptural eternal lives for examining your life, not being a slave to how you see things every day. Verse 7. Now these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. It's of greater worth than gold, because remember, gold can fade and, and deplete. It falls apart, which perishes even though refined by fire. That your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he's, he's providing a conditional situation here. If you persist in your relationship with the Lord, then on the last day when Christ returns, you will participate in his praise, glory, and honor. Can you imagine participating in God's praise, honor, and glory? It's an amazing inheritance we have. Though you have not seen him, verse 8, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So yes, salvation comes when Christ returns, but he's saying you're receiving that salvation right now, today. So even in the midst of trials and tribulation and suffering and persecution, you should have inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you see that? It says it like we're already having it. It says... Uh, Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Does anybody ever have a day where you wake up and you are not filled with inexpressible, glorious joy? You just wake up and you're grumpy, and you go through your day and you're crabby, and you look at that and you go, ah, I don't like that. Oh, I'm unhappy with this. I know maybe I'm the only one who struggles with that. But the thing is, when you understand the scandalous gift that God has given you, you don't have room for being crabby or grumpy, grumbling, complaining. You're filled with inexpressible joy. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So remember, there are a bunch of people that lived before Jesus. And their whole lives, their whole spiritual lives were yearning for Christ and the salvation that would come from him. We live in this side of history where we receive Christ as if it's no big deal. And we walk around, we say, I'm a Christian. 
as if it means nothing. We have received a blessing beyond that which the Old Testament prophets ever got. We got what they wanted. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The ancient prophets, the Old Testament was written for us. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look at these things. That's how scandalously blessed you and I are, that we get to just read the Bible and live in this period where Christ Jesus has already atoned for our sins, that it is historically proven, verifiable, undeniable that Christ came, he died, he rose, and now the church is growing. And we are a part of his body, the church, and he is prevailing, and nothing can stop him. When we have that inheritance, there is no room for sadness, grumbling, complaining. There is only inexpressible joy. Verse 13, therefore, therefore means because of these things. I've laid a foundation. Now here's what you do about it. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So it's saying, have a sober, clear mind, alert and sober mind. Your mind all the time needs to be not in what's right in front of you, but on that last day when Christ returns. If that's real to you, then you can return to this moment and be free from fear. But if you're always putting that off, you're not thinking about that last day, then you're forever going to be a slave to what's right in front of you, and you're never going to prevail. Now, he talks about having a sober and alert mind. And of course, different ones of us are tempted by different things. But did you notice the world doesn't want us sober and alert? The world wants us drunk and distracted. And I preached against it in Delaware. I'm going to preach against it. It's not my first time. I have noticed that one of the main things that makes people distracted is screens. Whether you're talking about smartphones, TVs, computers. So many people day to day throughout the day are just distracted not paying attention, not alert, I want to invite you to get rid of your screens, at least for a period of time. You might think about Lent, just trying it out, focusing on the most important things rather than the distracting things. Think about it. I'm just going to tell you one anecdote. There's a lady, doesn't live far from town. I follow her on Facebook. She had an autistic son, was getting more and more antisocial, not dealing well with people, not doing well in the family, they finally just removed all screens from the household. Last I heard, this boy was not behaving that badly anymore. He had a huge turnaround, a huge noticeable turnaround. And I think what explains a lot of young people today in particular is they are not having social interactions that are healthy. They're looking at screens all day inside, not out playing. They don't know how to function well. But I don't think older folks, middle-aged folks are doing that great either. We got an increasingly antisocial, alienated group of people that are further from God than the society's ever been. It's worth considering do we, in order to be God's peculiar people, need to put away our screens? All right, I'll be done there. Verse 14. As obedient children, that's supposed to be you and me, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Saying, don't sin. You were a sinner before Jesus, you shouldn't be afterwards. Quit it. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, that's God, so be you holy 
in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's written in Leviticus. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you remember that? That's how high the standard is set, not how high the TV sets. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Is it important to learn to fear the Lord? Absolutely. He says it right here. Now, it, it said it, we, we kind of went over it, but what does God judge? Does God judge our faith or our works? We say faith, but look right there. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. It doesn't say works. You're right. It says work. He judges our work impartially. It says it in Romans, says it in Revelation that God will judge our works. We are also told that we can do nothing pleasing to God unless we have faith. Faith is the precondition of pleasing the Lord. But once we have faith, the question is, what do you do with it? Are you bearing fruit for God in your life or not? Here's the thing. If the fruit of your life is sin and wickedness, it doesn't matter if you once got saved. There's a lot of people who get very mad at me for saying this. I do care. I don't like people mad at me, but I have to tell you the truth. It doesn't matter if you got saved and then persisted in sin. The whole point is, once you are saved, you stop sinning. That's what the new birth is about. You have to be a new creation. You have to stop sinning. The Holy Spirit gives you power over sin. You are now a free person. You are now to give good and pleasing works. Do good and pleasing works to God, and at the end of history, you will be judged according to your works. It's faith alone that saves, but it's our works that condemn us. It's our lives that condemn us. And if our lives are not conformed to Christ then we should not at all be confident in our salvation here. That's why it says you need to live your life in reverent fear. I wish I was a scary preacher that could put the fear of God in people. My kids aren't even afraid of me, and I've really tried with them. So you just need to let God scare you because I can't do it. I'm not a very scary guy. I'm just going to tell you the truth, and the truth is you need to learn to live your life in fear of the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says so. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So gold and silver didn't redeem you. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, for you. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It's not because you're so smart that you believe in God. It's because of what Jesus did for you that you believe and follow and obey. Never take credit for what God's doing. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, does God want us to be pure? Yes. You have obeyed yourself by obeying the truth. You purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. This is one of the hardest commands in Scripture. Maybe one of you or two of you are perfectly lovable, but I am not. I'm a hard person to love. Ask my wife. We are called out of our love of Christ to genuinely love one another. That's why I have y'all pass the peace and get in each other's face and learn each other's names and try and make you eat together at the end of every month. Y'all have to love one another, not, 
Oh, I love you. I hope you're okay. Okay, bye. I'll see you next Sunday. Genuine love. I'm going to pray for you every day. I want to spend time with you during the week. That's the kind of love Jesus wants us to have for one another. Francis Chan, a pastor, tells a story about a former gang member joined his church. Went through a time of discipleship, got baptized. The pastor, Chan, saw him three weeks later in the supermarket, said, Hey, good to see you. How you doing? He said, You know, when I got baptized into your church, I kind of thought it would be like when I joined my gang and they jumped me in. You know, I, I had a family after that, but when you guys baptized me, I didn't see any of y'all for six days. He said, I felt like I had a family more when I was a gang member than whenever I joined God's family. Is that not the saddest thing you've ever heard? And it's a sad thing that someone will come and be a part of a church, sit in a worship service where we call ourselves a church, and yet... They come and go. We don't learn their name. We don't care where they're going, where, where, they, where they come from, what their life is about. We're not going to pray for them. We'll just, bye, see you next Sunday. We should learn to love one another, don't you think? Verse 23, for you have been born again. There's that new birth thing again. Not a perishable seed. There's that. You see how these themes are woven together? Not imperishable seed, but <laughs> of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. And this is what we're going to end on, talking about the word of God. What is the word of God? Verse 24, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Anybody ever see the sandlot? Forever forever it's helpful to just think about that the word of god endures forever it does not stop everything else will be wiped away be burned away the word of god endures forever so if it endures forever then it would be to our interest to conform our lives to the word of god amen, amen. this is the word that was preached to you he says that's what our lives are about